everyone. My name is Belen Gomez. I'm the Vice President of Strategic Initiatives at Equilar, and welcome to today's episode of CHRO Quick Talks. It is my pleasure to welcome today's speaker, Kristen Robinson. Kristen has over 25 years of experience in senior HR executive roles at companies like Pandora, Yahoo, most recently at Splunk, where she recently departed the chief people officer role in July of this year uh, and entered board work. She joined her first public board in February at Barrent Systems. And Kristen, it sounds like uh, potentially another second public board may be teed up here in the coming months. So just want to thank you for being here and, and sharing your expertise with our listeners. Yeah, thank you, Bell. And I'm so excited to be here. And I love these quick talks. They're very quick, but they're <laughs> the ones you've done so far have been uh, really informative. Great. Well, thank you for the feedback. That's why we do them. And again, just appreciate you taking the time to, to join us for this episode. So we have a lot to dive into. I know we've covered a lot of the topics that we want to make sure we get to. Uh, first and foremost, though, is just taking through taking us through a bit of your experience. So you joined Splunk as the chief people officer in January of 2020, which was really at the onset of the pandemic and, and in this role really forged a path for HR at this organization amid really at an environment uncertainty that you couldn't have expected uh, much earlier than that. So just curious, the changes that you have seen in HR organizations, Splunk and otherwise, just then to now, if you can take us through that. Yeah, um, the last couple of years, as we all know, have been very, very interesting, to say the least. And they have felt really reactive. You know, it seems like we've gone from one crisis moment to another. And I have come to realize, though, it's really important to look at the underlying drivers of the changes that are happening to the HR function and actually the role of senior leadership. And to look at trends that are causing that, not just the reactive moments that we've all had, but they have been reactive. They've been external events. And if they didn't impact the organization directly, the business directly, they very much did impact the people inside the organization. So we as HR leaders and actually senior executives in the organization had to really struggle through these things that had no playbook whatsoever. And I don't want to give anybody any heart palpitations, but as a reminder, you know, we had a global pandemic, no playbook. We had racial justice issues. We had climate events that actually displaced employees around the world. There was political upheaval, you know, with divisive election process and the aftermath. The great resignation, the prominence of mental illness, Ukraine this year, access to healthcare, figuring out the new world of the workplace, right? All those on top of the business operational issues that are just hard enough. So even though we have been, I think, very much in this reactive mode, responding to these stochastic shocks to the system, there are some underlying trends. And I think if we can think about those and get more strategic versus reactive, then we have a chance to, to think more um, in the, for the long term, think more future oriented and create some underlying and enduring uh, programs and initiatives in our organizations. So let me just talk briefly about the trends I see. One is the expectation that societal leadership is now a core business function. And that's been documented by the Edelman Trust Barometer, which was a longitudinal study that's been done over decades 
But in recent years, it's shown that employees around the world expect their employers and specifically CEOs to take a lead in solving social issues. So in the old days, you know, we said, we're going to keep an arm's length from those social issues. We're just going to run our business. You can't have that, that same arm's length anymore. So that's one thing. Let's recognize that. That is not going away. The other thing is the definition of corporate purpose. So in 2019, the Business Roundtable came out with a redefined purpose of the organization. It wasn't just shareholders that the business uh, was had the purpose to uh, provide benefits for, but the corporations needed to deliver benefits to other set of stakeholders. And that's become more of a symbolic gesture as we see the growing prominence of ESG initiatives and expectations. So that's trend number two. Uh, third is just the growing body of research and science that helps us understand what drives leadership capability, high performance, employee engagement, and we know that it's human-centered environments and inclusive leadership. There's a trend of mental health going mainstream. The world is finally talking about it, and it's less taboo. It's in our headlines. It's on our magazine covers. It's on our commercials. And so that's something that I believe also is related to integrated health for us as human beings. And we as companies need to address that for our people. And finally, I'll just say, you know, this is a trend that's been going on and we saw in the late 90s, the increasing power of the voice of the employee. And it's really because of supply and demand, right? We don't have enough talent in the world to do all the things that employers need. It's not the great resignation, that's a big deal, but it's the long-term demographic trends. And so how do we collaborate with people across the organization to run our businesses, invent our work practices will be really important. So those are the underlying trends. And I think we can get ahead of the curve as HR leaders and organizations and be strategic. And you know, one thing we can do is we can hold business goals and employee expectations in mind at the same time. And oftentimes that tension is hard, but we can think of it as healthy and necessary for a viable, enduring business. We have to integrate that voice of the employee and allow for autonomy and creative co collaboration in our work practices with employees, bring that voice to the table. And we can do that with data because we've got lots of data these days. We can think globally based on principles, but act lo locally. And I know that's an age old term, you know, think globally, act locally. But I really think it's important not necessarily to throw out their mandatory global enterprise rules. That's not going over too well, as we know, but let teams make decisions about how they work. And the last thing that I'll say that, that HR organizations and senior leaders, again, can do is experiment. You know, at this moment, we are truly inventing the future and we can start small, try things out, you know, in, in smaller places in the organization, see how those go, iterate, expand, and just be comfortable that we're not going to have the answer for the entire organization at once but we can try to experiment and, you know, build that over time. Kristen, I want to key on a few points that you mentioned. So 
new world of work. So new working environment, employee voice, and that tension that you referred to, because I think that that sort of defines the ongoing debate about where we work on a daily basis and how many companies and clients that we speak with on a daily basis that are really grappling with what does that look like now and in the future? And how do we institute policies that I think get at your point, which is allow for the business growth and not expect a trajectory, but also take into consideration that employee voice. And so something that we had talked about uh, prior to the interview is the employee choice program that was implemented at Splunk in 2021. So if you can just take us through, you know, what were some of the discussions, pros, cons, just how you see this discussion playing out or best practices that you can share with CHROs that are still grappling with this, where the, the company may not have had a, made a decision quite yet. Yeah, you mentioned um, early on, we just said, you know what, this environment is too uncertain. We recognize the diversity of our employees' personal situations, their health profiles, you know, their living situations. And we said, you know what, we're going to give you choice. We're going to um, allow it to be voluntary to come into the office because we've proven that you can work productively and effectively virtually. And um, we'll keep our offices open. We did that pretty early on. And what's also interesting and part of this puzzle is in the fall of 2020. So if you think back to that time, we're still kind of in full on isolation. Um, Vaccines were just coming out. We still had no idea, you know, what this thing was going to turn out like. I presented a long term workforce strategy to our board of directors at Splunk. And at that time, despite the uncertainty, we put a stake in the sand, I'll call it sand versus ground. And we said, you know what, we're going to think about, again, longer term issues, not the immediate situation, longer term. How do we get access to diverse talent? They may not always be where we had a physical office. How do we consider the cost of talent? And it may not be competitive if our workforce is saturated in a higher cost, very competitive location. And how do we look at uh, the cost of facility spaces? So, you know, we, we looked at it like that. And I still think those are very relevant for leaders, business leaders, and HR leaders to be thinking about in terms of your workplace and your workforce strategy. So we know we can effectively operate virtually. And during this past couple of years, many companies, including Splunk, we opened um, our recruiting pipelines to other locations. We hired people where there weren't offices. We allowed a little bit relocations. We closed office spaces. So, you know, it's interesting. You think pre-pandemic, we were hybrid then. We really were. We will still be hybrid. Someone will always be on a screen. And we need to figure out how to operate that way as the core way versus it being an outlier. And what's also interesting, and I've seen this over years, I've seen it probably at three or four different companies. When we do employee engagement surveys, and when you slice and dice the data, inevitably our remote employees had higher engagement levels. You would not expect that, but that was the data. And so to think that, oh, employees can't be engaged if they're not coming to the office, I, that's false. 
that's false. And some of the data that I've seen have proven that. So if I think of lessons learned over the last couple of years, one is you really can build deep, trusting, one-on-one and team relationships virtually. You have to be intentional about it and you have to put effort into it and it takes time, but you can do that. The other thing is access to leadership can actually be greater. And it's really interesting that so many senior leaders want to snap back to the way it used to be and let's have everybody in the office. But our employees actually felt that they had better access to those leaders by having a front row seat, you know, on a all employee, you know, company meeting virtually where they could see the CEO right in front of their eyes, you know, on their screen. So we can help leaders have meaningful access virtually, even those people who aren't in the office. Inclusion and bias can also be less prominent. And that was a learning for me. And I'll tell you a quick story about that. I was speaking to our internship class that summer of 2020. It was all virtual. We decided to go forward. And a woman um, who was an intern, she was a software developer getting her master's, had reached out to me after you know, a forum that I had with those interns. And she wanted to know about my experience being a woman in tech and what were the trials and tribulations, how I dealt with that. And as we were talking, I said, well, how is your experience being virtual in software, right? Her team was all men. And here she was, the only woman of the group. And she said, Kristen, it was so much easier to be part of the team virtually than her experience was being part of the team in person, where she physically had to break into a group of men when they were doing group work in a room and and be part of that group. And so that was so interesting to me. So I know we're all worried about, you know, inclusion when some people are hybrid, but you can actually have increased inclusion in a virtual world. Uh, The last thing I'll say is, you know, building community is important. And we've, many people have not stepped foot in an office in two years. That is not the new norm or the expected norm. You know, if teams come together, once a month or once a week or once a quarter, you know, that, that um, interaction in person can be very meaningful. You know, let's do only those things in person that are best to do in person. Let's not have everyone come into the office and just sit with their headphones on, on zoom, um, but doing strategy sessions, doing team building, you know, having performance development or career conversations as a manager, those are all things that are really ideal when you're in person and close up. So those are some of the learnings that I've, I've seen over the years. And I think we can just kind of expand on those. And rather than popping back to the old norms that are just not going to be acceptable anymore, um, really make the things that did work even better. I want to segue now, and and you mentioned the Splunk board, and you've just joined your first public board early, earlier this year, as, as I mentioned. And so I'm sure a lot of these lessons learned that you've talked about have really influenced and, and been a resource during those, those board meetings. And so, first of all, I would love to just hear about your journey, making that transition from sitting executive uh, CHRO, Chief People Officer, and making that transition to sitting board member, independent board member on a public board. If you could just take us through the highlights. 
Yeah. So, you know, I've always enjoyed supporting comp committees and boards from the management side. And I've done that at five public companies. And so I thought it would be interesting. And I thought I would have something to give to in as I served on a board of a public company. And I use that term serve on the board really specifically because I do believe personally that it is about giving back and adding, you know, in my uh, experience, the people, the org, the culture, the human capital elements to the business. So, you know, I, um, a few years back, I let some folks in my executive search network know that I was open um, to serving on a board. I didn't really pursue it aggressively though, mostly because I was full up working, you know, in dynamic fast paced businesses. So I didn't have a lot of time, but it was out there. I had some conversations for prospective board seats. I always did my, you know, due diligence, but there wasn't anything that really came up that was a good match at the, at the right time. I also did put together though a short board profile. So rather than you know my LinkedIn uh, resume, which was really oriented towards CHR roles, um, I put together something that really was targeted to a board search versus a CHRO search. And I reflected back on all of my experience and in the CHR roles and in other business roles. And I thought about, well, what's going to be relevant for a board? And it wasn't necessarily the same things about hiring people during growth phases or employee engagement, leadership development. It was those things, but oriented more towards business and org transformations or leadership transformations, executive succession, corporate governance, shareholder relations. So I really highlighted those and my support of comp committees and boards as relevant experience. And then I also really tried to highlight you know, my own high professional ethics because that's really, really important on boards. We are liable you know, for some decisions that we are making. And so you need the utmost professional ethics and that I would commit sufficient time to what could be demanding board responsibilities. So I got a call late last year by an executive search colleague who had placed me in one of my previous CHRO roles. And he thought I had the capability and I would be ready for a board position. I went through the process. And, you know, I mentioned due diligence. I think that's really important. You know, researching the company, the industry, SEC filings, financial, listening to earnings call. I did all that. You know, I did due diligence on the leadership team and other board members. What are their backgrounds? You know, are these people that I want to be affiliated with? And so met all the board members, met most of the management team and decided, you know, that this was a good match. So um, it was it was a good process. That's part of my own story. I will mention, though, a couple of things now. It's been a short, you know, seven months or so. But some of my learnings, my initial insights it takes time to ramp up as a board member. You know, you're sort of dropping in once a quarter, plus a bit for committee meetings if you're on a committee. It takes time to learn the business, learn the management team, you know, get to know your board colleagues and the dynamics of the board. And so I still am learning and I'm eager to deepen my contribution there. Context is also everything. You know, I've done so many things in comp committees and built so many executive comp programs and did succession planning. But those 
really need to be in the context of the current business and the current company and the current people. So you can't just think absolutely of those kinds of topics. It needs to be integrated within the context and the historical context of those companies. Um, you got to dedicate sufficient time. I will tell you, there were moments where it was really difficult for me to balance the board work and schedule mostly and my schedule as an internal you know, executive operator. And so you need to make sure that you have that, that dedicated and sufficient time. And I'm learning how to walk the line between board roles, which are oversight and advising, and line management, which is operational. And so um, the first time I was in a day and a half board meeting, I had to laugh because I didn't leave with a long list of deliverables and action items. You know, you're really there not to do but to advise and to think strategically and to make sure that the company is being run really well. So I think that leads nicely into the next question here, which is how you see things differently through the lens as a board member and agenda items versus as a chief people officer and either topics that or data that you needed to provide to the board, just how you see it a bit differently and, and any anything that you can share around expectations now sitting in the board seat. Yeah. Well, you know, I just mentioned onboarding on a board, right? I mentioned it takes a while. And, you know, as a CEO, as a CHRO inside the company, you want your board members to kind of accelerate their learning and be as effective as a board member as possible. So I hadn't appreciated how important that was. And I think the CHRO role can um, play an important um, role in the onboarding and orientation of new board members. And so you can work with your CEO, your chair, your lead director, if you have a lead director, to devise a pretty robust onboarding for your new board members. Interestingly, Spencer Stewart has a really comprehensive corporate uh, director onboarding checklist, which is really helpful. And I've used that actually for myself. And it doesn't have to be all at once, um, but thinking about things over the course of the, the first year, for example. I know when I was a CHRO, we had at one point in time, uh, several new members of the comp committee. And I stepped back and I did a whole orientation, you know, for those new members. And it really paid off, you know, their first meeting in the committee, they weren't asking basic questions because we had that orientation. So I think that's a, a really obvious role that the CHRO can play. Um, then there's board effectiveness. You know, boards are teams too. And they need to be effective. And over all my decades of experience partnering with boards, I've seen some that are more effective than others. And because the CHRO, you know, is naturally thinking about leadership effectiveness, you know, they can extend that to thinking about the effectiveness of the board. Um, you know, assuming you're at the meetings, you can observe the dynamics, what conversations are being had, which ones are not. And again, partner with the CEO and chair um, on board evaluation process or, you know, on things that you can do collectively to make that board more effective. Um, you know, I think you, it's important for CHROs to drive a strategic talent agenda. And I, 
I uh, know that some of your other guests on Quick Talks mentioned this. Like, don't wait to be asked to present on a particular topic. You know, assess what is important for them to know. Put yourself in their seat. And you can do it very readily from the talent and comp committee meeting um, meetings that you have. Um, culture, you know, having a really tuned understanding of your culture based on data is really important for the board. And it's important for risk assessment, which is a key part of board responsibility. And finally, you know, ESG is another area that continues to grow and grow and grow and get more defined. And that's another area that you can work on um, with the board. So those are three areas. You can always be just an individual resource for board members. You know, I've developed some nice relationships with a few board members uh, on each of the boards that I supported. And I think that's always a nice way to have some um, given and take, you know, as individuals. So that's another uh, neat way that you can participate on the board. Kristen, you've already provided so many great insights and resources that our listeners can look up after, after they listen to this episode. But I just want to give you the final word, final piece of advice that you would share with CHROs who are listening in. Uh, just where do we want to end the, the episode? Yeah, I would say just, you know, be confident that our expertise in our profession you know, how we can help leaders, teams, whole organizations, the cultures of organizations, that is so critical to success. And we have that role to play. It's a unique role. It's a lot of responsibility. But, you know, I think if we can think of how it's an honor to do that and how important it is, we'll be really successful. Kristen, thank you so much for taking the time. Again, it was such a pleasure to speak with you today. And thank you to our listeners. Thank you for tuning in. And for future episodes of CHRO Quick Talks, please subscribe to our CHRO Navigator newsletter. Thank you. Have a good day.